Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of The Jared White Show, recorded June 5th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared White, and I invite you to join me in a curated celebration of the art form that is the web. It's WWDC week, which apparently is just dub dub now. We're all supposed to call it dub dub. Uh, I don't know about that. But anyway, it is here. All of the news, all of the Apple geekery is upon us. But before we dive into that, I have a bit of follow-up. In the last episode, episode 32, I talked about how Apple Pay Express Transit was coming to Portland, the first city in the U.S., or anywhere, I think, uh, to have the new Apple Pay Express Transit feature. And it's really cool. I've been using it the last several days. And the the thing that's interesting about it is uh, you don't have to do the double tap on the side of your Apple Watch or fiddle around with your iPhone to, to bring anything up. It, it just happens. You just take your device and tap the little terminal and it just automatically knows to use the transit card that you have in the device. So I have my Hop card. Hop is the name of the transit card that works in all the different systems here in the Portland area. And since that's configured for express transit, I just walk up to the terminal on a train or by a station or whatever, and I just boop with my watch, and that's it. I don't have to touch anything. I don't have to set anything. Uh, It just is completely seamless. I love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, and hopefully that will roll out quickly to lots of other metro areas around the country and beyond. All right, so I was trying to figure out how to structure this episode because there's so much news to cover, and we're just going to scratch the surface in a lot of areas. But um, I actually posted an hour before the keynote started on Monday. So at 9 a.m., I posted my rumor-fueled wish list, all the things I wanted to see, And I was very, very happy to see that virtually all of my wishes came true. (laughs) Apple really nailed it this time. In fact, they even have a big slide in their keynote that says, nailed it. (laughs) But that was actually part of a joke. You should go watch the keynote for that part. It was hilarious. Uh, But there was, uh, yeah, actually, as an aside, there was a lot of humor. There was a lot of funny moments (laughs) I love the whole, uh, our crack marketing team, blah, 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 came up with the next number, iOS 13. (laughs) So funny. Uh, I love it when uh, Apple folks, especially top executives, uh, Craig Hair Force One Federighi is uh, the the guy that's usually doing this sort of thing. Um, I love it when they can kind of poke fun at themselves a little bit because, you know, I think generally Apple takes itself pretty seriously, and a lot of the time us us computer nerds take Apple very seriously, and sometimes that leads to some some rather grumpy or serious moments, so it's nice to have a little bit of humor. Uh, anyway, so let's get into it. I'm just going to go down the list. The, the link is in the show notes if you want to see my original wish list. Um, so I'm just going to go down my list and cover what actually happened. So the first item in my list was I really want to see an iOS Pro for the iPad Pro. I want to see not just 
another version of iOS for iPad, but but really the 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 beginnings of of a whole new era for the OS that really takes advantage of the hardware capabilities of iPad, especially iPad Pro, and and does things there that you know is 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 really kind of setting it apart from you know okay this is no longer just a blown up phone OS and it's certainly not Mac OS it's its own thing with its own powerful features and that's basically what Apple did they're not calling it iOS Pro they're calling it iPad OS and they're saying this is a distinct entity now yes of course it's derived from iOS but they really think of it as its own concept now just like TV OS is for TVs and watch OS is for watches iPad OS is for iPads and they all share much of the same underlying code frameworks system architecture and so forth but you know a lot of the 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 visual aspects and specific feature sets uh, can diverge and, and really be tailored to all those different devices so I think this is fantastic. Uh, we're, it, iOS is still called iOS, but in a way it's back to being iPhone OS. <laughs> so that's how I'm going to think of it from now on. Apple basically has iPhone OS, iPad OS, Watch OS, TV OS, and Mac OS. And they all share tons of you know, code and functionality under the hood, but the way they, they manifest uh, you know, per, per device category is going to be a little bit different. And I think that's really, really, really great. Great strategy. So hats off to Apple for doing that. I'd like to just go through Apple's page here. They have a whole preview page about iPadOS. So I just kind of want to run down and go over some of the things they announced because this is by far the most exciting stuff. I'll get into other things that happened, you know, hardware and other platforms and so forth. But I'm only going to touch on those other things. I'm going to really breeze through all the other stuff, but I really want to dive into iPadOS, so that's what we're going to do right now. So first of all, redesigned home screen. Yes, it starts out with app icons and the grid and all that, but uh, but the grid's been tweaked so that you can get a lot more icons on a single screen. So that's really cool. It's been a little bit silly how <laughs> you have this giant iPad Pro screen and then you just have a few icons with tons of space in between. And it's like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, so that looks much better now. But the real news here is that if you just do a little swipe over from the left, you get the widgets. Yes, widgets on the home screen. Something so many people have been asking for. And a lot of people have been saying, you know, there already is a concept of widgets. You can go to the notification center and get all kinds of widgets for calendars and weather and photo selections and Siri app suggestions and all these other things, you know, tapping shortcuts and all sorts of stuff. But, uh, you know, you have to like go somewhere to get that. It's not just right there on your home screen. And now it is. It's right there on your home screen. And I think that's fabulous. You know, you can still swipe through additional screens with icons and so forth. But that first screen of your home screen has the widgets right there on the left. And I just love it. I can't wait to use that. Uh, there's a number of widgets that I feel like I would use way more often if they were that handy. So that is cool. Uh, slide over and split view 
has been really, really beefed up. Here, here's an interesting thing. Way back in the day when multitasking on an iPad was really, really crappy, <laughs> uh, virtually non-existent, uh, I think a, a lot of us who tried to buy in early on with the iPad lifestyle, our, our method of multitasking was basically, okay, well, I have an iPhone in this hand over here, and I have my iPad over there, and so I'm multitasking. <laughs> um, and so the interesting thing now about what they're doing with SlideOver is they're basically taking an iPhone and sticking it on the screen of the iPad. <laughs> I mean, SlideOver already kind of felt like you had an iPhone app kind of floating there on the you know one side or another of your screen, and they've just taken that to the nth degree now. So you can launch multiple apps in SlideOver, and you can you know, basically do the little swipe gesture at the bottom, just like it works on all the, of the iPhone X line, you know, the new way that you can... Um, quickly slide to go back and forth from different apps on your iPhone. Uh, you can do that now with slide over on iPad, and you can even get into a multitasking view of your slide over apps. So they, they fan out and you can flip between them just like you do with apps on your iPhone. So this really feels like, you know, you have your sort of main working context on your iPad screen. And then with slide over, it's like you've added an iPhone <laughs> to the side of your iPad screen. It's really genius. It's taking concepts people are already familiar with in the world of the iPhone and, and bringing that to the iPad in a way that makes the iPad feel way more powerful now. Uh, continuing along those lines, they've beefed up all the split view, multiple spaces kind of stuff. So basically, what they've done is they've made the iPad work like the Mac or Windows or any other grown-up operating system. <laughs> you can have more than one instance of an application running. So you can have two different notes side by side. You can have, uh, you know, you could have a, a pages document in one space and a separate pages document in some other space next to some other app. And that other app could also have a version of itself with some other content back in the original space, and you can move the, all these things around. So it's uh, it's basically what everyone's been asking for for years. Like, you know, hey, I have a document, and I want to work on another document for reference. Why can't I do that? Well, now you can. And to facilitate navigating between all these different instances of, of applications, all you have to do is go down to the dock and tap on an icon, and you'll get what they call App Exposé. Uh, again, bringing some concepts from the Mac, but doing it in a way that still feels very iOS-like. Um, so you just tap on an icon, and you get to see, like, okay, files, 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 all these different instances across different spaces, including SlideOver, and you can just switch between them. It's very, very, very cool. They've improved some of the note-taking and markup capabilities for Apple Pencil. Uh, nothing here that gets me too excited, but uh, I really like the, the design, the visual design of all the, the latest tools they have here. They're, they're a little bit more three-dimensional and photorealistic looking than before. I like the way it looks. But I think the big news here with Apple Pencil, um, I don't see it here on their preview page, but I remember hearing in one of the sessions or maybe the keynote that they've worked on the speed even more to get the latency for Apple Pencil screen updates down to some re 
ridiculous thing, like, I don't know, six milliseconds maybe, or it's just, it's crazy how responsive it is. I'm already quite happy with the responsiveness of Apple Pencil 2 and iPad Pro, and for them to improve that even more is just mind-blowing. There's an easy way to capture an entire web page and and mark it up and work with that quickly. Um, they, They kind of already had this, but you had to like go to the share sheet and say create PDF and go through all that. And now when you just do the you know, the little button thing on the side to get the screenshot, you can switch between a literal screenshot or a PDF representation of the entire web page, and then you can mark it up and do things with it. So that's really cool. Uh, sidecar. I'm going to save that discussion for later. Uh, I want to get into that a little bit more when we get into um, what's new with Mac OS, but Sidecar is a very cool feature. Text editing. Um, I think this remains to be seen. I'm not entirely convinced that this is all quite as awesome as they make out, but essentially they have new gestures for working with text where you can basically just pick the cursor up and plop it down somewhere else to type somewhere else. And they have gestures for cut, copy, paste, gestures for undo. Uh, Supposedly it'll make editing documents a lot easier on screen. Um, Most of the time, if I'm doing any kind of serious editing on my iPad, I'm using an external keyboard and I have all the external keyboard shortcuts available to me. So for me, this is okay. I, I hope it, you know, helps people that primarily edit things just on screen, but I don't see myself using that too much. Uh, Don't care about quick type swipe stuff. I've never liked any of that. Floating keyboards, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fonts. So fonts, this is an interesting thing. And again, the the devil's in the details, but uh, up to date, Um, Basically, to date, the only way you could get a custom font onto an iPad or iPhone was to use some kind of third-party app like AnyFont, which basically would take a font and generate a a profile that you have to authorize and install. And it was this really strange mechanism that I think was originally intended just for use in in enterprise contexts where system administrators need to be able to install specific networking or you know file access protocols or whatever into the system <laughs> and then it got hijacked for fonts and it was pretty goofy so um so they have a whole new font management system here uh, and the idea is that you'll be able to just go to the app store and download font packs and install them so that's cool but I'm not sure how it works with literal custom fonts. Like if I have an open type or true type font on my Mac <laughs> or on a file share or somewhere and I want to transfer it over and install it on my iPad, I'm not sure if that's still going to be possible just with the default system tools. We might still need something like any font. I'm not sure. So uh, we'll have to see how that shakes out. But, you know, the idea that there will be an an app store category for fonts. That's pretty cool. I look forward to seeing how that works. All kinds of awesome new stuff in the files app. Finally, (laughs) finally, you can connect a USB external drive and it will show up in files. (laughs) 
<laughs> Finally, you can see shared network folders. <laughs> I I'm exaggerating this for effect because it, it is pretty silly. It is pretty silly. We've had to wait this long. Um, I've found all kinds of ways to work around these things. So, you know, it hasn't necessarily stopped me from getting the work done that I need to do on iPad. But to have all of this supported natively within the Files app is truly awesome. So you'll be able to connect to, to Samba shares, you know, connect to PCs or Macs and uh, do file transfers. You'll be able to connect to external hard drives, SD card readers, thumb drives. <laughs> I like the way they word this here. They say, they say connect an external hard drive, SD card reader, and yes, even a USB drive. <laughs> I think that was a direct response to all of the iPad Pro reviews last year, where like every review is saying, this new hardware is fantastic, but why can't I plug in a USB drive? So now they're saying, yes, even a USB drive, you can plug it in and it'll work. <laughs> Uh, so that's cool. Uh, I love all the new stuff around column view and all of the extra metadata and, and contextual stuff you can do there. Um, on my iPad, local storage works better now. So basically, to date, you've had to install some kind of third-party app that would provide a top-level folder in on my iPad, and then you could store whatever you want in those top-level folders. Um, and I've done that, it works fine. Uh, but the problem is people haven't discovered that by and large. So like even on tech podcasts with people who are really smart and generally know what they're talking about, you still have heard things like, why can't I just save some files locally on my iPad? And I want to shout at my, <laughs> at my headphones, you can! But, but now you really can. You don't have to install anything. You don't have to set up anything. You can just set up files and folders in your local on my iPad storage and do whatever you want there. So no cloud storage required. Awesome. Uh, they've done a ton with Safari and this is actually a separate item in my wish list. I had a separate item about uh, updates to Safari and WebKit across multiple platforms. Uh, most of what they've done is for iPad and iPhone of interest, um, but I'll cover that in just a few minutes. Dark mode. Not much to say here. Yes, dark mode is available now on iOS and on iPadOS. Looks amazing, and I will certainly be using it. I use dark mode on my Mac, and I love it. And it'll be fun to have that on my iPad as well. Um, updates to performance, updates to security, cool new photos stuff. Ah, oh boy. Anything else of interest here? There's a ton of small things here, all of which are great, but I think uh, I think that about covers the big things. You know, the, the the main things that everyone was always complaining about, which is you know, multitasking needs to be better. Why is my home screen so dopey? <laughs> Why can't I plug in a USB drive? Uh, Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? I I feel like Apple took you know the the vast majority of of the main Why can't I do dot 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 things that everyone says in iPad reviews, and, and they, they fixed it. They, they, they plugged the gaps, they filled the holes, they, they really addressed it all. And I feel like, you know, the, the kind of complaints people will have from now on uh, regarding iPad OS will be increasingly esoteric. Uh, my main thing that I'm missing that I, I really wish there was still a solution for is to have some kind of sandboxed 
Unix terminal. I would love to be able to, to drop into a command line on my iPad and install software there and, you know, have it all be in a sandbox so it can't, you know, do anything bad. It can't do anything nefarious to the rest of the system. But when, when I'm in the sandbox, I could, you know, run a web server, run a database, run Ruby scripts, whatever. That would be so cool. But uh, nothing like that, at least not for now. Maybe next year. So iPad OS is very exciting. I have a couple links in the show notes. Uh, Craig, Hair Force One Federighi talking about uh, how the iPad is now the best PC for more people than before with all these changes. So uh, that little interview there at CNET with him. Um, I have a link to a really great video that gives an overview of all these features. Um, so uh, go check out that video. And with that, we go on to the next main item in my wish list, which is new Safari and or WebKit features across all platforms. So one of the interesting things Apple announced uh, here in this space is a feature called Sign In with Apple. And yes, it's initially presented as a way for apps that you download from the App Store to have a sign in feature that will use uh, your Apple ID credentials. And there's all kinds of security and privacy things that get done there, which is really awesome. But what's interesting is they also now will be having this sign in with Apple feature for the web. And they're using sort of an OAuth type scheme, like a lot of other third party login providers. And this is fascinating because a number of years back, you start to see popping up all over the place, you know, sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google, sign in with Twitter, whatever, you know, sign in with GitHub. Everyone wants you to sign in with these major providers. And the problem with a lot of that is <laughs> it's yet another way to enable tracking and privacy concerns on the web. And uh, for me, for several years now, I've stopped using any of those features, and I always just create as an email and password login if anyone provides that option. And if they only provide an option to use Facebook or whatever, I don't bother. I, I just won't use a service that forces me to log in with Facebook or Twitter or whatever. I, I want to create a real login. However, of any company... Any service provider for login and authentication identity stuff uh, that I would trust, it is Apple, and I trust them with so much of my data already. So the idea is that I could use sign in with Apple on some of these sites, and it would make it really easy. And you could use, you know, Face ID or some kind of cool thing like that for authentication. Um, so, so this is very interesting. I think a lot of sites should evaluate this. I'm not saying we should all rush to implement it, but I do think a lot of websites could very well benefit from this kind of sign-in with Apple functionality. And it's certainly more desirable than sign-in with one of the other companies. <laughs> um, progressive web apps reportedly are working better now in iOS 13 and iPadOS. Um, Apple making strides there so that if you, you know, go to a website and go to the share sheet and say add to home screen. Uh, it basically installs a web app on your device, which looks and acts in many ways like any other app that you have running on your device. So that's really great. I, I you know, I, I think it, it's, uh, it behooves Apple 
to do a good job of providing support for progressive web apps because it takes a little bit of the heat off of the idea that the app store is this big problematic monopoly. You know, if Apple can say, hey, yeah, we have this curated app store with all these cool native apps, but, you know, if you want to just go to a website and install that as an app on your home screen, you can totally do that, and we support that. You know, I think they should make that case, and so it's great to, to see improvement there. Um, so there's a link in the show notes to all of the Safari 13 beta, uh, you know, updates, the, the release notes for all that. But the really big news here, which I'm saving for last regarding Safari, is the improvements to Safari on iPad through iPad OS. They've taken what they're calling desktop class browsing and brought it to iPad, and they mean that quite literally. The, the browser on the iPad is desktop Safari. And what they mean when they say that is that uh, all of the differences between the quote-unquote mobile version of Safari and the Mac version of Safari, uh, you know, which admittedly aren't a ton. In many ways, they've, they've you know, maintained, uh, you know, compatibility between the two and, you know, support for all of the web standards. But in certain ways, there have been major divergences, and a lot of those are around editing. Uh, if you've ever tried to go into some kind of content management system on the web and tried to edit a page with all the editing tools, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Safari on iPhone or iPad can get really bonkers and all kinds of weird problems there. So presumably... You know, they, they mentioned things like Google Docs and Squarespace and all that sort of thing. Uh, presumably, you can go into any one of these systems and, you know, edit your page, edit your document, and it'll work how you would expect it to work. You know, just the way it works on Safari on your Mac, it will work that way on your iPad. Now, I'm not expecting 100% here because there are differences between touch and mouse interactions. So there could be certain cases where it gets weird. And also, if you're using the on-screen keyboard, you know, you're, you're covering up a lot of the page when that keyboard comes up, and that could still cause some issues. You know, if you have an external keyboard, maybe uh, those issues go away. Um, what's interesting, though, is p- potentially those issues when an on-screen keyboard comes up uh, could go away because Apple is adopting this new API called Visual Viewport. This is a new web API that will essentially let your page get notified when the visual viewport changes. So when that on-screen keyboard comes up and it's covering, you know, like a third or even a half of the screen real estate, uh, your page can know that and it will know what's actually visible and what's getting covered up. So it can reposition toolbars, it can resize, you know, editing uh, text boxes. It can do things to make things uh, on the screen still quite usable with that on-screen keyboard. This is something that I have been wanting since day one of the iPad because when the iPad first came out in 2010, I started to create a content management system specifically for iPad users. It was called Mariposta. And the thing that always drove me crazy is there was no way to know when that on-screen keyboard came up. So if you were trying to edit stuff and you, you know, and as the developer, you want to be able to have toolbar buttons and different controls and things laid out, you know, in that visible viewport, there was no way to do that. There was no way to know what was going on. 
<laughs> and that's been a problem for so long. And finally, that is getting fixed now through an open standard web API and support for that in iPadOS. So between the visual viewport stuff, the desktop class browsing features, um, much more parity between mouse and touch, and they're supporting the pointer events API, which is sort of a, a way to, to synthesize um, you know, interactive functions between these different input methods. Um, anyway, this is all such great news. It means the web and using the web to get all kinds of work done uh, on your iPad, is, it's going to get so much better. So this is really, really great news. Next item on the wish list, the UI kit on the Mac project, which everyone was calling Marzipan, the, the idea that you could take uh, apps that you've written for iPad and run them on the Mac. Uh, that is now an official developer tool that Apple's providing, and they're actually calling it a, this new name now, Project Catalyst. So Catalyst is what it's called now. Marzipan is no more. Ah, goodbye, dear friend, goodbye. It's now Project Catalyst, and it really is what the... <laughs> it really does what is on the packaging. It really does let you take your iPad app and compile it for the Mac. Uh, and there's a bunch of extra stuff you can do to make it uh, look and function well on the Mac and feel more like a real native Mac app. Um, but, uh, you know, in by and large, uh, people can take the work that they've already done for their, the, their iPad strategy and just apply that to the Mac. So expect to see a ton more apps come to the Mac around entertainment, around games, maybe some, uh, you know, some little productivity apps like calendaring kind of stuff or to-do lists or whatever, um, you know, stuff that was only available in the iOS ecosystem and you couldn't get it on the Mac, you know, except maybe through some kind of cloud service on the web, uh, now you'll see essentially native Mac apps for all this stuff, which is really cool. Uh, I think one of the concerns many of us had is, you know, well, is this like the future of Mac apps and like truly native Mac apps using AppKit are going to go away? And interestingly enough, the answer to that is no, because Apple has a new way to develop the user interface for applications. <laughs> this came out of left field. This was really a surprise to me. I was not expecting this. This kind of came at the very end of the keynote is their, their final hurrah in a very long keynote. And they basically said, uh, we've come up with a whole new way to design your applications and provide the user interface. And it's called Swift UI. And SwiftUI basically, you know, they would never say this, but SwiftUI is basically web components, React, that sort of thing. It's basically a, a way to, to write very, very, very concise declarative style code to build up a user interface out of very simple components. Um, and the structure of your code is very literally describing the structure of your user interface. And they have such a seamless integration between the code that you write and the way the interface looks that you can actually interact with the interface in their preview and change settings there. And it updates your code automatically and vice versa. It's really, really slick. And I think, you know, the idea behind SwiftUI is one, make it even easier to use this great language called Swift to write apps. 
but B, it's a way to unify app development across all of their platforms. So the idea is that you could write Swift UI code, and with just a few modifications, you'll get that running well on watch OS, iPhone, iPad OS, TV OS, Mac OS. It will scale across all of the Apple devices. And that is probably, in the long run, the biggest news of the event, because all the other news affects what we can do now. But Swift UI is going to affect what people are doing 10 years from now. This is, you know, way looking into the future. You know, what is the future of Apple platforms, you know, years from now? And Swift UI is that future. Now, other companies have tried this sort of thing. This is not a new idea. Microsoft tried to come up with a unified programming strategy for, you know, you could write an app and and have it scale across Windows phones and Windows PCs and Windows tablets and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, Xbox even, uh, you know, write once, run anywhere. <laughs> this is not a new idea, but nobody's ever been able to pull it off. Nobody's ever really been able to pull off a write once, run anywhere strategy, you know, other than the web. Like, you know, the web itself is, is kind of that. Um, but, you know, that has its own pros and cons associated with it. So, you know, in terms of like native applications that run on devices, nobody has ever gotten right once run anywhere to work over, you know, over time, it, it always fails. So it remains to be seen if Swift UI will also fail in some way. Um, but if anyone can pull this sort of thing off, <laughs> you know, given, given their history to date, uh, I trust Apple to be able to do that. Uh, next item on my wish list, iOS dark mode. We already covered that, so that's great. Uh, next is Mac Pro hardware teaser. I, I assumed, even though we actually hadn't heard much to the effect, I assumed there would be some kind of hardware teaser for the Mac Pro at this year's WWDC, because if they didn't say anything about it, everyone would go insane. Like everyone would just like melt down and just freak out and be like, where is the Mac Pro? How can you still not <laughs> be releasing anything? They had to do something. I honestly was expecting just like maybe a little video that sort of vaguely shows a few things. And then, you know, you kind of get a glimpse of what it is at the end of the video. And then somebody comes out and kind of says like, you know, we're really working hard on it. It's going to be awesome. Here's a few attributes of it. And we'll have more to say this fall or I don't know, something like that, just to let people know, like, it's in the hopper. But they actually did way more than that. Like, they have a product. It is ready to go. And it is it is going to be released this fall. But they're showing it off now. They have a new uh, tower computer. They have a new pro display, and even though all of it is like eye-wateringly, <laughs> nosebleed expensive, uh, probably even more expensive than all the people who thought it was going to be really expensive could even imagine. Like, just like, yeah, it's expensive, but it's also amazing, like mind-blown <laughs> amazing. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much in this episode because we're already running late, but um, if you want to listen to a really great interview with the product manager for the Mac Pro, uh, Mac Power users, um, David Sparks and Stephen Hackett over there did a great job of uh, 
going over all the Mac Pro stuff with Apple's product manager for the Mac Pro. So check that out. Links in the show notes. And let's see, just a couple things here left. Uh, The one item on my list I did not get my answer to. Uh, I wrote some sort of indication of future notebooks that don't suck. (laughs) And that didn't happen. Uh, Apple did come out with updates to their notebooks, the MacBook Pro, um, before WWDC. But um, those were just spec bump updates and yet another tiny little tweak to the keyboard uh, I'm not convinced. I still think that this this whole uh, notebook lineup they have right now, I think, is slightly a lemon. And, you know, it works okay for some people. Other people have lots of problems. I have no interest in investing in this. I will not buy another Apple laptop unless they come out with an entirely new design. I'm not even convinced I'll ever buy another Apple laptop at this point, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I'm getting to the point where I feel quite comfortable with the strategy where my Mac is a desktop Mac and my mobile device is an iPad. Um, but if I ever did decide I wanted to get a Mac laptop, they've got to do something else. I'm just not interested in the current lineup. So that was a little disappointing. Hopefully, uh, either later this year or early next year, we, we get some news of, of something new and different. Dedicated app store for the watch. They did do that. That's very interesting. They've declared independence from the phone and Apple Watch is essentially its own standalone platform with its own app store. I think that's really great. And, um, you know, for a little while there, I was getting a little down around the the Apple Watch. I I felt like, you know, a lot of the apps people were coming out with weren't that interesting. A lot of use cases just ended up not being that great. And I was starting to think, you know, maybe all the Apple Watch really is, is just kind of a little fitness device and a thing to, you know, see a notification so you don't have to pull a phone out of your pocket and that sort of thing. Um, And then I got Hello Weather. And I I talked about this on the last episode, I think. Um, Hello Weather is really awesome privacy policy. And they have um, a watch app now to correspond with their iPhone app. And it is such a great watch app. I absolutely love Hello Weather on the watch. I use it all the time. And it is so good that that one app alone (laughs) has renewed my faith in the Apple Watch. Because I figure if it's possible for Hello Weather to do a great Apple Watch app, it means it's possible for other developers to create great watch apps. And we just haven't seen enough of them. But hopefully now with a dedicated app store and sort of a a renewed vision and focus on how to develop apps for Apple Watch uh, from Apple itself, hopefully that spurs more developers to to really put some effort into it and do some cool stuff. And we'll see um, much better watch apps going forward. And my final item here was TVOS Wink. (laughs) So that was a joke. (laughs) This isn't part of my wish list. I really don't care much about TVOS. They did make uh, an update to TVOS, uh, new design, new support for, uh, this was actually a little surprising, new support for controllers, like you can use your PS4 controller directly with TVOS, so you can control games with that, blah, blah, blah. Not that interesting to me. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, that that was my wish list. Um, I want to give a few extra shout outs to things that weren't covered as part of my wish list. Uh, I mentioned Sidecar before, um, so so macOS Catalina is the new version of macOS that they announced. 
Um, again, not going to go into all that right now, but one of the cool features in macOS Catalina that's also part of Ma of that's also part of iPadOS is this feature called Sidecar. And with Sidecar, you can basically uh, <clears throat> extend or mirror your Mac workspace to your iPad screen. Here's the thing. You, you could do that already with third-party solutions. There's screens, there's Duet, there's Luna Display, which a lot of podcasters have been promoting as an advert, um, and, but it sounds uh, like it really does work quite well. Um, but having this as a first-party feature directly available just if you have a Mac and an iPad is pretty cool. But what's really, really cool about this is the sidecar interface on your iPad includes the touch bar. Now, this is very interesting to me because I use a desktop Mac, and even though I still do have a Mac laptop, which I sometimes use as a laptop, uh, it's, it's an old model that doesn't have a touch bar. So I basically have no way to utilize touch bar functionality. Apple has not provided any sort of way for me as a Mac user to use the touch bar because I don't have one of the new touch bar enabled laptops. But with Sidecar, suddenly my iPad becomes a touch bar. <laughs> like even if I'm not really using, you know, what I'm seeing on the screen on my iPad, like if I have my iPad off to the side and I'm still interacting with my Mac through, you know, keyboard and mouse and a display, I can still have Sidecar running and I can still use those touch bar features, you know, and, and what that affords me is, you know, if I'm in a video editor or I'm in some other pro app on my Mac that does have some cool stuff you can do with the touch bar, I'll have that touch bar at the ready right there on my iPad screen next to my Mac display. So I love this. This is really, really, really cool. And that alone is going to make me use Sidecar quite a bit, I'm sure. I can't wait to try that out. Let us all sing an ode to iTunes. May iTunes rest in peace. Goodbye. Yes, Apple has <laughs> Apple has said farewell to iTunes. It is no longer going to be on the Mac. They're splitting it up at long last. They'll have a music app, a podcasts app, and a TV app. And they're all going to look very new and slick. And the the sort of uh device management and syncing features that iTunes has also had to date that's getting moved over to the Finder, which actually makes a lot of sense. So if you plug your iPhone with a cable into your Mac, that will now show up in the Finder and you can you know set up local backups or change different settings and sync stuff, whatever. Um, I, I never use any of that. Like for me, all, all the sync and all the setting stuff is completely through iCloud and wireless and all that kind of stuff. But I know some people still like having local backups and like managing that stuff. So they'll be able to do that right through the Finder, which is cool. And otherwise, you'll just have a music app that just does music. You'll have a podcast app that just does podcasts. You'll have a TV app that just does you know movies and TV shows. And that really, really makes a lot of sense. I think this is what we've all been asking for for years now, and it's finally happening. Uh, one other little tidbit that I find very interesting is um, 
this this really got buried, but some people have been uh, investigating this. Uh, apparently, iOS 13 has some new battery optimization features. So it actually uses uh, advanced machine learning and intelligent prediction algorithms to figure out what your daily usage pattern is on your iPhone. And it will um, it'll adjust how it charges up your phone. So it might not actually charge your phone all the way up to 100. Like if it tells, it's, it sees several days in a row, for example, that you, you know, only get down to 50% maybe, it, it might uh, not charge all the way back up to 100 so that um, apparently that that makes the battery last quite a bit longer. I guess uh, charging the battery entirely all the way up to 100% every time um, makes the battery not last as long. So if it can avoid doing that because it knows that generally you're not using your phone, you know, that much throughout the day uh, to get down to, you know, almost nothing, um, it can, you know, moderate that. So that's interesting. It will be a setting people can shut off, you know, maybe if you know you're going on a long trip and you're going to use your phone a lot all of a sudden and you really do want to get that full charge, you'll be able to do that. Um, But this could end up being a really big deal. I know, like, older iPhones, like, I think by the time it gets to about the three-year mark, battery life is really suffering and, you know, either need to get a new phone or get a battery replacement um, but this sort of thing might, you know, eke out in, you know, maybe a few more months of decent battery life. So that's cool. All right, my friends, so much news, so much to talk about. And there's a ton that we didn't even get to at all. So there will be much more to come in the weeks ahead. But for now, I think it's time to call today. You know, I had a bunch of extra stuff here in the link segment and the image segment, and I might have to just move all of this to a future episode because <laughs> we're we're already over our typical 30-minute mark here. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. As always, you can go to jaredwhite.com slash podcast to uh, follow this show, to check up on older episodes. Um, please subscribe in your podcast client of choice. And if you would leave a review in the Apple Podcasts directory and let folks know that you're enjoying this show, I would greatly appreciate it. So thanks for tuning in, and I will see you next time. Bye.